This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Optum, a health services innovation company dedicated to helping people live healthier lives and helping make the health system work better for everyone. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Healthcare challenges in America were substantial even before COVID-19. The lack of cohesive data sharing and a fragmented system often resulted in poor yet expensive care for patients. In this segment, the CEO of the All of Us Research Program at NIH, Joshua Denny, will discuss how COVID-19 and the expansion of mass data during the pandemic could lead to a more integrated healthcare delivery system in the future. Let's listen. Welcome back. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham, the anchor of the Health 202 newsletter here at the Washington Post. And with us now is Dr. Josh Denny, who's the CEO of the All of Us Research Program at the National Institutes of Health. Welcome to the program, Dr. Denny. Thank you, Paige. A pleasure to be with you. Would you give us a quick overview of all of us and how many people you've enrolled so far? And I'd also be curious to hear whether the pandemic has at all affected your effort to enroll people. Thank you. Yes, the All of Us Research Program was begun, uh, first opened its doors in 2018 to recruit um, one of the largest and most diverse populations in biomedical research. Uh, history, really. Our goal is to enroll a million or more participants of diverse backgrounds across the United States. And those participants uh, are partners with us and share uh, data, uh, uh, biospecimens, they answer surveys, they agree to potentially use digital health technologies such as activity monitors. And uh, you know we also collect information about the environment and life circumstances through those information. So we really can get a full and complete picture of who the individual is and uh, look at their health outcomes. A key part of that is looking at electronic health records and really get a dense understanding of who someone is and and their health trajectory so we can better understand disease. Um, And uh, so far we've enrolled over 270,000 folks that have completed all the major steps of the program um, and over 355,000 have uh, uh, consented to be part of the program. Has the pandemic at all affected the way you're enrolling people or has it caused you to slow down sort of your goals of when you'd like to get to that 1 million cohorts? Uh, Like most all cohort programs and scientific research studies, uh, we have had to uh, adjust for the pandemic. And uh, one of the things we did is um, uh, uh, first representing uh, safety is job one. Um, we stopped our in-person activities uh, in uh, March. And so sites moved to use uh, telehealth for um, recruitment activities and uh, calling participants and engaging with them virtually. Um, and we're working on uh, telehealth abilities to engage folks in uh, research studies. Um, uh, however, our activities uh, uh, electronically have continued. So uh, we started a number of activities um, specific for COVID-19 three major efforts. One was a serology study that looks at um, uh, exposure to uh, the virus potentially uh, in early 2020. Potentially, we could go back even as far as late 2019. Another um, was a survey that we launched that specifically looks at COVID-19 effects, not just the effects of maybe having the illness, but also the you know, uh, mental health effects, the uh, effects on um, uh, social environment discrimination um, and um, uh, uh, the stressors that one may uh, face due to economic hardship and social distancing. And then uh, finally, we've been looking to uh, ways that we can improve 
the electronic health records that we receive from participants so that the data we get um, from those adequately represents um, uh, COVID-19 testing, COVID-19 diagnoses, and, and, and their impacts. You know, this is a new disease, so it's created new elements in the medical record. And so we want to make sure we capture those well. And those kinds of learnings actually are applicable to all the electronic health record systems uh, really across the country and some of the other efforts that the NIH is engaged in. Well, and to your point, I know an ambassador for All of Us recently said that this project, uh, All of Us, was really designed for something like COVID. What did he mean by that? Thank you. Um, you know, our participant ambassadors are a really important part of our program and really help us um, uh, think about our directions. Uh, you know, COVID-19 affects everyone and, uh, you know, especially it affects populations of, of color. And it's laid bare uh, some of the health disparities inequities that have haunted America for some time. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, uh, not only do we have a large population, but our population is very diverse. Um, over 50% of our population are, are racial and ethnic minorities, um, and uh, over 80% represent a population that is underrepresented in biomedical research. We feel that um, uh, enrolling populations that are diverse is really in, in empowering and a scientific imperative, but it's also just the right thing to do. Um, and uh, the widespread impact across so many health conditions is um, the kind of thing that all of us is, is designed to do. And we have such longitudinal follow-up on our participants that you know we, uh, as participants are exposed to um, COVID-19, um, uh, either uh, directly or you know through the psychological impact of what we're all going through, we will have that longitudinal impact and in, in follow-up to know the outcomes of uh, uh, COVID-19 long-term as well. Well, one of the things I know that's so exciting that has excited me about all of us is just this idea of personalized medicine. Um, do you see personalized medicine as playing a role at all in COVID treatments? I know this is something there's a lot of a lot of work and research being done on, you know, how patients with serious illness can be cared for. But do we see any of that research kind of in the area of, of personalized medicine? Personalized medicine has been a long focus of my career, and we typically think of that as uh, common diseases, cardiovascular disease, uh, treat blood thinners, um, and um, uh, you know, but we always, as physicians, have sought to you know personalize our treatment for our patients, and 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 the first step in that is understanding the disease. Um, and, and we're dealing with a public health crisis right now, but within that, we have differential outcomes with COVID-19. Uh, the degree to you know, which the thrombotic complications, cardiovascular complications, these don't always, um, uh, aren't always predicted just by uh, simple demographics of age. Um, and we don't really understand the interplay between different diseases. And certainly they're beginning to show some genetic findings, such as um, blood type. And there's some other genetic signals that may play out as well. And so uh, having a rich data set like ours that uh, also has, uh, for instance, in our case, whole genome sequencing um, uh, will be part of all of, for all of our participants is uh, will be one of those important factors to help us understand the impacts of the disease. And then uh, we'll also be able to look at the outcomes. And so that will help us longer term see uh, maybe not just the immediate outcomes, but longer term outcomes as well. So I believe that uh, just COVID-19, like really most diseases, um, uh, could have an aspect for personalized medicine in terms of you know better treatments, better understanding of prognosis, and um, uh, you know individualization of care. 
Well, you alluded to this earlier, but you, uh, the, one of the, one of the goals of all of us is, I know, to enroll um, more people from minority communities because research has typically skewed towards people who are white, male, and and better off. Can you talk a little bit about that effort to enroll a diverse population and what you've done to ensure that? Thank you, Paige. Uh, you know, enrolling diverse populations is so important. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, our all of our genetic studies so far, you know, about 4% of those look at populations that represent about a third of America. So we have a long way to go. Um, and, you know, similar study and diversity uh, lacks are seen in a lot of clinical trials. Um, we believe that um, all of us can really uh, help bridge that gap. And, you know, I'm a data guy and I've been told, you know, always heard the message that this is hard, but, um, and it is, but it's not insurmountable. We, it's really important that you partner with your participants. Participants have been part of this project, community groups, um, uh, you know, engagement events across the country. We did this all at the very beginning. And these folks uh, partner with us in all level of governance. Uh, we, you know, listen as we engage these efforts. We uh, in, have community advisory boards with each of our recruitment sites and um, uh, and then try to engage authentically. And, and it's really important that you seek to return value. So what is meaningful to return to your participants? And that's a big part of our program as well. Um, we're going to return information to them. And our participants have told us, for instance, that uh, knowing the health effects of some of the genetic changes that an individual might have put them at risk for, you know, future risk of breast cancer or, or cardiac arrhythmias. Those kinds of data are the kind of data that participants would love to have back. And so, you know, we're working to return that kind of information to folks who enroll in our program. What are some of the biggest concerns that, that your folks hear as they're trying to convince people to, you know, contribute personal medical information to this project? I would imagine some people are worried about privacy. Um, but what, yeah, what are the concerns that you hear most often, in particular on the privacy front? What are you doing to try to alleviate those concerns? You know, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Privacy and security are really uh, one of the primary ones. And, you know, we have always felt uh, that security and privacy of the data that people are willing to share with us and donate is job one. Security and privacy really have to job do be job one. And if you don't get that right, um, uh, you know, the um, uh, uh, you can't build on that. You don't have transparency and trust. And so we, we want to be honest with our participants um, with the whole process and uh, let them know what we're doing um, to protect their data. Um, and uh, we uh, engage outside firms to test us um, to uh, uh, what we call white hat hackers to try to you know, test and find security holes, um, as well as a lot of uh, continuous you know, top of class uh, systems and testing of our um, systems and continuous monitoring. Um, as well, you know, transparency about what you're doing with their data is really important. So we have um, uh, worked really hard on a, uh, what we believe is a very clear consent process um, and you know, a series of questions afterwards so people understand what's happening to their data. Um, and uh, we uh, think it's really important for discovery, and our participants agree um, uh, when we've talked to them, that uh, these data have to get out to as broad a research audience as possible because transformation and discovery you know, happens from lots of smart people um, uh, engaging and, and asking questions of, you know, a large data set. And so we, by creating uh, safe ways to do this kind of investigation, we think we can accelerate discovery and lead to, you know, better uh, understandings of disease, which ultimately should lead to better treatment. And how are you guys doing on your goal to reach those 1 million enrollees? Are things going along according to schedule? 
<laughs> well, things were going really well until uh, COVID-19 hit. Um, and we paused our in-person activity. So um, we had uh, uh, been enrolling at a pace of around 3,000 or so uh, people per week, making it through all the steps of the program. And that's really one of the, uh, when you consider the, the depth of our program and what participants provide with answering surveys, donating blood, urine, uh, sharing their electronic health records, um, and a brief uh, in-person physical exam, um, you know, that's really a remarkable uh, recruitment rate. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we uh, uh, we still have patients that are coming to the website and our, our program is still open, joinallofus.org. Uh, everyone, anyone can sign up um, and, uh, uh, you know, people are still joining online, but we just have to wait for um, some of our uh, uh, in-person activities to resume. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And we're actually exploring new ways of doing that uh, that are safe in COVID-19, um, uh, potentially using saliva um, and looking at uh, patients that are you know, otherwise in the healthcare system. And some of our sites are exploring some um, novel ways of, of recruiting as well. So um, uh, business as usual will take a while to resume, but um, uh, uh, as we all know, but which we're all looking forward to, but we are adapting to the situation as well. Well, and I know a lot of people had to put off doctor's visits this spring, and there's probably a backlog there. Um, so yeah, every every corner of the country kind of being affected. Um, add one last question I wanted to throw at you, um, and I hear this concern a lot, you know, amid all of the excitement about targeted treatments and personalized medicine, that also kind of brings concerns of cost, which already kind of plagued the U.S. healthcare system. But kind of this idea that you're getting a treatment that's highly targeted to you, but may not be useful to other people, and what that could mean for your bill. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Is that something that worries you if personalized medicine uh, is more broadly adopted in the future? Certainly. Um, there are a lot of stories of uh, certain, for instance, cancer therapies that are, um, uh, have you know, maybe remarkable effects that are hyper-targeted. And uh, you know, there's a couple of responses to that. One, uh, not all personalized medicine does lead to increased cost. If you can think about uh, the, the colon cancer screening or breast cancer screening um, recommendations that were just talked about in the last segment, um, uh, you know, if we better knew an individual's risk and who you know, needs to be screened earlier and maybe who could be screened later, or maybe with you know less aggressive uh, methods, um, uh, you know some of that could actually lead to reduced costs. And certainly, the prevention of cardiovascular disease um, is a and, and breast cancer and colon cancer are you know um, huge cost savings to the system. Uh, additionally, it doesn't always lead to more expensive medications. So uh, you know one of the examples I like from the cardiovascular uh, story is um, uh, anti. Uh, platelet drugs given after um, cardiovascular uh, stents are placed uh, after myocardial infarction. You know, there are medications that are off patent that um, uh, are generic and cheaper that can be used in a lot of the population um, uh, based on genetic variants. And so, you know, knowing who you can target uh, what medications to can actually sometimes lead to um, uh, cheaper therapies that actually lead to equivalent results. And there's some um, randomized control trials that support some of that as well. Um, and so I, I think, I think you know, uh, personalized medicine, um, as it leads to better care, ultimately leads to healthier people and prevention of disease um, on a health trajectory that I, I won't, doesn't always lead to increased cost and hopefully leads to a healthier population for sure. Well, that's all the time we have today with Dr. Josh Denny. Dr. Denny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Paige. 
Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.